People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. And my guest this week is Rashid Lombard. Now, his is a name that has a bit of clout in Cape Town's musical circles. That might even be an understatement. Not as a musician, though. In fact, he probably couldn't play an instrument to save his life, if you don't mind me saying that, Rashid. Yet his name is as well known as any of our own best musicians. Rashid is the man in the main who put our jazz scene in recent years on the world map. He was the driving force in setting up the Cape Town International Jazz Festival. And Rashid, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. I think I would like to remind our listeners that you were the first manager of Fine Music Radio many, many years ago. And I hope you have fond memories of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it was... Myself and Jacques de Force Malan. That's right. And then, of course, the, the person who taught me a lot when I took over as station manager, uh, my dear friend Leslie McKenzie, mm-hmm. who taught me such a lot about, about radio, uh, the medium of communication. And he took after you, took over after you, didn't he? He took over after me, yes. So when you joined as manager, radio was, uh, the medium was fairly new to you. You hadn't really known about radio or how to run well, it. Well, certainly not how to run the radio station, but I, I knew the medium mm-hmm. through my uh, journalism days. And, right. and before that, I was also involved in, in Bush Radio, setting oh, up yes, yes, yes. Bush Radio, and I was on the board. And um, when Jacques de Fosmaland came and said, look, here, let's pitch for a, a jazz and classical station, I thought, wow, it's a good idea mm-hmm. to get the music out there. And that's how it all started. We pitched to... It was in Ikasa, and we won the license. Gosh, that was now nearly 25 years ago. In fact, I think it's 25 years ago this year because it's our 25th anniversary this year. Oh, wow. And that was opened up in Long Street, didn't it, up in the studios in Long, in Long Street? studios, yep. That's where it all started. Gosh, a long time ago, yeah. long before I was born. <laughs> no, but um, so tell me, so they were as manager, and then you went off, and there's so many things that I want to talk to you about, obviously, your life as a photographer as well. But... What made you set up this jazz festival? Because it seems almost it must have been quite a task at the beginning, especially to make it like an international one, just not a local group of people playing. Mm. You must have had big ideas in those days. Yes, for my sins. But, uh, well, I left FMR when P4 Radio started, which Mm -hmm. is hard now, and they basically poached me. Then we were getting sort of community rates, uh, community radio rates, and, of course, P4 then is a commercial station, mm-hmm. and that's how I moved over. I signed up a 18-month contract, and during that time, you know, I realized that there is an audience for jazz. Although they were more, that's when the word smooth jazz came in, which was an American format, which is not quite my thing, but, you know, it's not personal, it's about the audience out there. But prior to that, I had traveled to festivals in Europe, Quite often in the late 80s, you know, finish a job in Senegal. Instead of coming home, you just fly over to Europe and you attend the North Sea and Montreux. Yeah, the uh, really big ones. Yeah, the really yeah. big ones. And yeah. it, that was just to chill out. And also just as a photographer, because one of the mediums was musicians that I loved mm-hmm. photographing. And that got me to P4. 
while I was there the last few months, I took audience to the North Sea Jazz Festival, sort of listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had about 30 people, which is wild. Gosh, that's quite a big group. Yep. And uh, by then it had been my, I think my sixth year going to the North Sea. And the last night, the Sunday night, after lots of, you know what I mean, I just <laughs> decided I'm going to walk up to the festival director, Theo van der Hoek, who, but by then we just knew the name mm-hmm. and his face and asked him to assist me to put up a multi-stage jazz festival in Cape Town, South Africa. And he said, send me a fax and got home, lobbied here. I sent him a two return tickets. The second one was for your financial director. <laughs> right, okay. And hotel accommodation. And that's how it all started. And they just believed in, you know, the location and and uh, the fact that there's opportunity to expand their brand. And that's how it all started. Hence, it was North Sea Jazz Festival Cape Town mm-hmm. for the f- first four years, which was, to me, it was important from a brand position because people say, Hang on, the North Sea, it's up north, yes, you know, with yes, the yes. South Atlantic. But it was important to use that to leverage what they would do, and, right. you know, and that's how it all started. Good, and good call, that, mm. to do that. Well, the big challenge, he said, for the first year, we want you to, we'll give you a stage. We we'll call it the South African stage. We pay the artist X amount, which was a good rate, but you fly them over. So that was our big challenge, <laughs> and it was a, a huge success. So right from the first festival, there were international artists here at the Cape Town Festival. Yeah, I sort of. It was know, truly international, in other words, right from the beginning. Yeah, I had to come up with some kind of formula that's different in terms mm-hmm. of your programming, because yeah. content is king, and knowing how South Africans wanted to see certain artists that would never come here, I decided to use a fifty-fifty formula, meaning fifty international, and fifty percent South African and African, and that's how the balance started and that's how I could get you know some of the top artists but I also my own experience was that there hasn't been a pure jazz festival there was a bit of swing there was a bit of blues there was a bit of R&B except pop so knowing the South African audience they're very nostalgic you know so it was important to bring Jose Valenciano over for example you know uh, the Commodores uh, Mm -hmm. women love them and and so it, it, it worked. Gosh. Okay. As I said, there are lots of questions I want to ask you, but let's have a, a music break now, Rashid. And what is your first piece of music that you've selected for well, us? Well, maybe, you know, I come from Jimi Hendrix. Yes, Janis Joplin. That's my my youth. And there was Vietnam War. And, you know, so we were all hippies in those times. <laughs> and then I met uh, James Matthews, the writer, and... He was influential in terms of what I read and you know, consciousness. And that's when he introduced me to Nina Simone. So Nina Simone was my first introduction to like very serious music. And yeah, that would be my first choice. And maybe Mississippi Blues because it's nice, it's a swing song. The name of this tune is Mississippi Goddamn. mean every word of it. Alabama's got me so upset. Tennessee made me lose my rest. And everybody knows about Mississippi. God damn. 
communist plot all i want is equality for my sister my brother my people and me yes you lied to me all these years you told me to wash and clean my ears and talk real fine just like a lady and you'd stop calling me sister sadie Mass 
Nina Simone there, Mississippi Blues. The first choice of my guest, Rashid Lombard, who is on People of Note this week, and People of Note brought to you every week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Rashid, we've sort of established how you got the jazz festival out here and launched. When Did you find that people were keen to come out here? You sort of implied that they were. Did people love the idea of... Did Cape Town have a reputation at that stage as a jazz centre? I don't think they had a reputation because 2000 there were very few major festivals on the blocks, mm-hmm. so to say. Today they are, you know, every corner there's one, which is great. But I also believe that Cape Town was a good tourist destination. Of course. And of that course. would be a nice attraction. Mm-hmm. Hence, I mean, to my surprise, if I knew then to get into the tourism business like a <laughs> travel agent, I'd have, I'd have done it. You know, because all of a sudden we had, and it's also through our marketing, mm-hmm. that we had international visitors with people all over Africa coming. You know, and from our research, they were staying up to seven days. So those stay the three days of the festival and then they'll travel the wine route and and it really established Cape Town as a jazz destination, mm-hmm. the home of jazz and I think that's why the international jazz, they chose Cape Town as a location. They quote the Cape Town Jazz Festival. Right, right. Um, but I think that, you know, w- once you start working with authorities, being the city, the province, initially it was, who is he? You know? Yeah. And can they pull it off? Because yeah. we're talking big budget, you know. Yes, then my budget absolutely. was like two thousand was three and a half million rand, <laughs> which was a lot of money. <laughs> yes. And but when they started seeing the results, you know, of course you have to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. They've been amazing. The city, whichever administration comes in, doesn't matter. It's the purpose of creating Cape Town as a jazz destination that worked. We looked at the economic impacts of people staying, hotels. You couldn't get hotels, bed and breakfast. I mean, it just worked. It was a win-win. Do you have any idea how many people come to the jazz festival, or is it sort of impossible to say? Well, no, no, no. We, we always knew because, you know, for the purpose of safety and security, you have to work out the square meterage, which you clear with the city officials, the safety and security. And the, the Good Hope Center, over two days, can take 37,000 people. Oh, okay. And during my time, we were, for almost six years, up till 2014, we were sold out. Mm-hmm. You say during your time, and of course, I don't know whether to say sadly or not, but you're not involved anymore, really, in the way that you were. Why did you decide to step, to step back? Well, you know, 15 years later, which is 2014, it was a great life of rock and roll. Mm. You know, <laughs> it works on the body and the mind. My parents were also ill. My mother was bedridden. My father had dementia. And I also decided to spend a bit more time with them. In fact, she told me, you should be moving on. <laughs> and, and I made the decision. It's time to hand over. The company was doing very well. The jazz festival was well established. And uh, I could walk away then and, mm. you know. And feel rather proud, yeah, I'm And sure. a competent team taking competent over. Team, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now... What is your involvement now, if anything, with the jazz festival? Not, nothing, nothing at all. At all. Yeah, yeah. I was a shareholder up till 2017. I sold my shares 2017 just to start because other things come up. Mm-hmm, I'm sure. You know, um, I'm very much into sharing knowledge. Right. Things critical in terms of, you know, what you've learned in three years, younger people can do it in a year or yeah, less. It's amazing, isn't yep, it, these yep. days? That's very part of, of what I'm doing now. Uh-huh. 
Before we start talking about that and your photography, I just want to talk. At the beginning, I made a joke from a quote saying, you probably couldn't play an instrument to save your life, yet your name is well known as any of our best musicians. Where did your love of jazz begin, your love of music? How did that begin? Well, what I do know, in my next life, I'm going to be a saxophonist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we wait and see. Um, but does that okay? So you don't play the saxophone at the moment. But where did the love come from? Well, you know, born in Port Elizabeth, I had two uncles, Uncle Ibi and Uncle Gould, and they always played music. And coming from a very sort of traditional Muslim background, it had to be the back room, you know. So that's the first time I heard Danny Williams. Uh, I listened to Make My Mojo Coming, Jimmy Smith. So I listened to all that kind of music, and I think it just grew with me. Mm -hmm. And during my youth, you know, I was always into the pop and the rock and rolls. And, and it's amazing you didn't pick up an instrument and get because you had clearly quite a passion. At one stage, I I did. You know, I I got married very young. I was twenty-one, so I had a home. So the likes of uh, Russell Herman, Robbie Jansen, Carter Khan, they always hung out at my house, I was in the spare room, and they tried to get me to play saxophone and flute, so I played around with it, but somehow it never got to me. To, mm -hmm. I was always an entrepreneur, I wanted to do something, because having kids, I need to work. Exactly. You know, these guys are not working, they're like hanging out in my room all day. <laughs> was that in Port Elizabeth? This no, no, this in Cape Town. Now you had moved to Cape Town. Yeah. Why did yeah. you come to Cape Town? Did the whole family move to Cape Town? My, well, it, it was 1959, 60. Mm -hmm. The whole group Aries Act. Yes. So yes, it was yes. South End, North End, Sidwell, where my family was sort of linked to. And that when that was declared, they decided to move up. My father good, had a good friend um, in Cape Town. And that's how we decided to move. So I done my latest primary school year and my high school. In Cape Town. In Cape yeah, Town, yeah. yeah. But now I'm interested that um, with all this love of music, you began to train as an architectural draftsman, which in a funny sort of way is almost related to photography, isn't it? Or why did you decide to do that? Well, you know, I... Uh, I know you said you had to make story money. Story of my life, yes. <laughs> well, I, I always worked, you know. I loved working with I loved mm. shoes. I loved clothes or having some money on me. But um, I was at Vitebua Mahai. By the time we came to Senate 9, you know, we were influenced by the matriculants, you know, and the slogans started going around liberation before education. And I had a few friends at UCT, and, you know, we just, I just decided, no, I'm not tired. I'm going to quit school. <laughs> but later on, I had to realize a bit of a mistake. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to Technicon, technical school in Athlone, and... Uh, got equivalent to matric and then I started I went to do architectural drafting because I loved drawing it was the only thing I thought you know that would appease me and then I, my first job was with best director first and then Marion Roberts gosh okay now listen Rashid we're going to take another music break I'm intrigued to know what you're going to choose as your second choice well, the other person which is very important in my life is the late Winston Mankunku Ngozi and um, fabulous song, Yakal Nkomo. But he was very influential in terms of introducing me to the likes of John Coltrane, Miles Davis, you know, and uh, we became very close and became friends and, and hung out. He was in Langa. I was living in Athlone, so it was quite near each other. And Athlone was a whole... 
the Beverly Lounge was then the multiracial jazz scene mm-hmm. um, where we all accumulated. So, you know, he's, he's been influential, but he's just a, a great, great uh, artist that uh, has become well-known.
You are another choice of my guest, Rashid Lombard. What was that, Rashid? Uh, that song, Yakal in Kormo, by Winston Mankunku. Okay, my guest, mm. Rashid Lombard here. We're talking about Rashid and his fascinating life. And as always, Peter Tureen sponsors our program. Peter Tureen brings you this program every week at the same time. So one of the most important things in your life, apart from your love of jazz, your passion for jazz, seems to be photography. And that's been a very major part of your life. So we established that you trained as an architectural draftsman. So how did photography come in? How did that rear its head and become so important (laughs) in your life? So that's the story of my life. So I worked as an architectural draftsman. I was in the drawing room. My manager was Mr. Barrett, Mel Barrett. My memory is good. And (laughs) that department was basically also working on tenders, Mm -hmm. sort of more than just, you know, drawing buildings and so forth. And a lot of our tenders then was audiovisual. And we were also responsible for the site photography. And of course, it was sort of late 70s, early 80s, the building, there was a slump in the building industry. And I then introduced photography in terms of Mike Omrod, and he still remembers this, at his studio in Randebosch at the Fountain Circle. And their budget was quite high monthly. And I told Mel Barrett, brother, let us do our own photography in-house. Neil Fraser was an MD. He loved it. He's like, let's just cut that budget because I'm on salary. So they allowed me to set up a darkroom, and I'd done all the site photography. You know, I had to go into a helicopter. They said, take an area pictures. Yes, I had. Run to Cape Town Library. Read up on <laughs> <laughs> what it takes. <laughs> you know, the shutter speed. I shoot three <laughs> frames. <laughs> because you hadn't, presumably you hadn't had proper training at that stage. Yep. So you had to quickly... I mean, in a sense, you were pretending you were an excellent photographer. Yeah. And so I had to quickly go and <laughs> brush up your knowledge. The others, I was quite confident. There was a time I trained at the Lopesha Studios in mm-hmm. Eric Lopesha Studios. They were in there. They had a darkroom course. So I'd done the darkroom course. The, uh, I was still at high school. But uh, so we set it up and we slashed budget. So I had, a, I had time to do, I photographed Civic Center. Rule True, uh, Tiger Bird Center, um, the Cape Sun from Basement. And and that's how I got into doing it full-time, industrial photography. Mm -hmm. Uh, From there, I moved to news. Oh, you did news photography as well? No, from after I finished. Oh, okay. The slump was 1980, I think the end of 1980 or early 81 in the industry so yeah. it's last in first out kind yes, of thing so of they course. do retrench so I was retrenched and immediately I went into photojournalism but that must have been quite a time because the 80s were not it was not a good decade in this country yeah it was and a great time because I could work <laughs> <laughs> well let's <laughs> work for the foreign the media oh you did know. you work mostly for the foreign only media only for the foreign oh, media oh really oh okay yeah. now that makes sense that makes sense but now your big am I right in saying your big thing is photographing musicians you moved to that. How did that come about? Well, you know, it was a kind of a therapy for me. You know, mm-hmm. I covered a lot of hotspots. Namibia, for example, 15 years of my life during Southeast Africa into transition, into independence, Mozambique, um, South Africa, Angola. Angola, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, yeah. So music was always a kind of therapy. You know, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd all file our pictures and I'll, in my room I'll have my little tape recorder, two speakers, and everyone would hang out there with lots of, you know what. 
and just chill. So it helped me through, you know, going a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. So yes, the musicians became my friends and family. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, I spent a lot of time with them, and we spent time honing our skills on politics because the politics of the arts then, and so like a family, you know, I. I hung out with them. I was a roadie, a carry to get into venues. And that's how I could photograph them behind the scenes and so forth. But I traveled a lot and because of love of music and I wanted to see certain artists and that's how you, you get to meet uh, mm, to Wayne Shorters and yes, uh, yes. You know, Stanley Clarks of the world, Diane Reeves. And so I've got a huge portfolio you know, spanning probably 40 years just of, yeah. of musicians. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that has been published in book form, hasn't it? Only one. Only one. Oh, one okay. It's like a third of what I have. Okay. Done in 2010. Wow. But where are these photographs now? Do you ever have an exhibition or do you, or, or, I hope you're going to keep them. You mentioned an archive. You should have an exhibition. Yeah. I've actually been, so we're going to bit fast forward. Mm-hmm. I've been writing a lot of late. Okay. It's now six years writing and writing up a concept about digitizing and archiving heritage resources, which covers my archives. Now, my archives is made up of celluloid, which is negatives, because I went into videos. I've got video of of musicians and other. I've got pamphlets, flyers, T-shirts. I never wear branded T-shirts at all unless I'm paid. Unless you paid. I'm paying, yeah. (laughs) It hasn't happened yet. Maybe later, you know. But they go for the young trendy ones these days and how do we put that into a home mm-hmm. but also have access to it so you can't just have an image there has to be a narrative way beyond a caption mm-hmm. and who are these people in these pictures go find their names and find out where they are but the bigger picture is to create a model for other archives and I know people are sitting with uh, information under their beds their parents have passed on and, and there's a whole new generation of young people, students, well, and not so young, including myself, that want to do research. You know, so we're going to start writing new curricula. How do you approach it? You know, the and this is what you're doing now. This is what you're currently doing. Because I'm planning, it's like pie in the sky. But it, <laughs> right. I like eating pies, so it's going to well, exactly. happen quite soon. <laughs> Don't hope. leave them in the sky. <laughs> I'm not in a hurry because I want to do it. I want to do a state of the art kind mm-hmm, of thing. Of course. You know? Because it'll be a legacy yeah, of yours. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a build to last. Yeah. So absolutely. the next hundred years, it's, that structure still got to be there. Rashid Lombard, what's your next choice of music? I'd like to go back to Jimmy Smith. I've got my mojo working. That was the first sounds I. And if I can't remember correctly, it's on a Hammond B. He plays a Hammond yeah. B3 organ. <laughs> And I love Gosh. the. I still love the sound of an organ. The Hammond organ. Remember those from yeah. the sixties, I think. Yeah, really. yeah. They become quite modern now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the old one with the sound box and right. and the the bass pedals. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's what we'll hear. Is that what we're going to hear? Yep. I got my mojo working, baby. I'm gonna try it on you Oh yeah I got my mojo working baby And I'm gonna try it out on you Oh yeah Well I tried it 
That was Jimmy Smith. It was called Got My Mojo Working. I think that's the very first time I've announced that in my career. Got My Mojo Working. It was the choice of my guest, Rashid Lombard, on People of Note this week. The program brought to you with the compliments of Peter Treen Productions. Rashid, there are other things that I want to talk about. We've spoken about your photography now, but I see that you are a member of Vakalisa uh, Enlightenment an artist collective that worked in communities to encourage the importance of cultural activities. What's that all about? Oh, you know, it was 80s and we wanted to find a gallery or galleries to exhibit our work. It was a collective of friends and like-minded people like the late Peter Clark, um, Lionel Davis, Mervyn Davis, Patrick Hollow, a whole group of us writers, sculptors, photographers, and then we thought, let's take the gallery into the homes of people. And how do you do that? Just through a calendar. Oh, that's interesting. So we had a design of a calendar designed by Peter Clark, completely hand. So every calendar had an image and a poem. So we could deal with a poet. And then we started exhibiting in various centers. 
civic centers mainly. Mm-hmm. So when we launch a calendar, we'll have a major exhibition. And um, it was quite interesting, the fact that, you know, we could inspire younger people by the art form. We were also trying to look at how can we commercialize it, but I think it was a bit too early. You know, there wasn't that kind of market to yeah. buy, but the we thought wasn't about ready it. Yeah, sort of thing. Okay, and is that still going, or what's the situation? No, there? that sort of that's probably going to go in the archives, in the history books. <laughs> okay. You know? okay. We stopped, I think, early nineties, mid nineties. There wasn't a need for that any longer because everything opened up, that's so right. we could, you know, galleries in the city and yeah, everywhere yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Because this would have helped in the apartheid days, where people yeah. could actually come where they were banned from galleries, the yeah. major galleries. Well, that was the reason why we yeah, were part of sort of the resistance movement, the right. democratic movements then. Were you fairly active in that, Rashid, at the time? In yes, the 80s, I was. Were you? I was. My wife, my kids, my family, active in various ways, you know, mm-hmm. me from the media side and assisting with images in terms of showing what's happening in the country. Um, images that could possibly have been banned here, which is why yeah. you send them overseas yeah. so the world knows well, about good it. Good with propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was like a propagandist. Okay, <laughs> okay. a propagandist. Yeah. <laughs> and sending images out, you know, yeah. to solidarity movements. There was mm-hmm. a huge solidarity movement internationally. So, yes, I was quite active. And I used my camera also as a means of contributing to some kind of awareness and hopefully then change, which came. Did you ever have the unpleasant experience of being arrested or anything like that? Oh, so many times. Oh, did you? Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't laugh. But I don't know why I'm laughing. But anyway. <laughs> I think back about it because, you know, they eventually arrest you and then, okay, first thing they want is your film and open your camera and take your film, but it's a new roll of film. Oh, yes. The other There's one's gone. On it. Yeah. yeah. It was like a games. You must write a book one day, Russian. If I can spell correctly. But, oh, <laughs> computers got spell checks, I forgot. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. The other thing I want to ask you is that apparently you are the CEO of ESP Africa, which you founded in 1997. Now, what is that? It was a company, events, social marketing and production. It's a company I started with fellow directors then. It was Clarence Ford, uh, Desmond Howard Boom, and Alex Abercrombie. It was about I wanted to do events, so it was events company, you know, being a social or product launch and so forth. And out of that, of course, the Jazz Festival came. Mm-hmm. But it continued to exist today as an events company. But I started that. So that is a, still, in fact, running. Yeah. Uh, but you're not involved with it as such. Well, no. When I retired, 2014, it was out of a company that... ESP Africa produces the Cape Town. Oh, Jazz as you Festival. said earlier. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, okay. So that okay. was a, the shareholding I held in that company, ESP Africa. Gosh, you've had a busy life. As I said, you're going to have to write a book. <laughs> Rashid, another choice of music, please. Another person that influenced me a lot, almost, you know, dealing with jazz, but almost coming to the classical, is Keith Jarrett. And an album I still live with today is the Cole Concert. And the first track, if you can play it. I mean, it's long, you might have to edit, but, you know, that's still, when I'm driving on my own or long distance, I, I play it. And, of course, Keith Jarrett went on to do great albums, uh, going into jazz and classical. Yeah, but, he recorded you know, Mozart piano Concerto. Yeah, and jazz, is, jazz has been redefined, you know. Mm. There isn't any more strict rules about this is jazz, you know. We're allowed to, I believe, and I see it in South Africa, how it, the word the music has been redefined. You take a rapper, he's using Miles Davis music. In fact, I always say that Miles Davis is the father of rapping. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
gosh, that's and, a thought. And I heard that from Run DMC, the famous 1986. I was touring with them in the States. Mm-hmm. I was doing a feature on them. And they told me that their influence come from Miles Davis. I want to talk to you before you go and after this next piece of music a little bit about the jazz situation here at the moment. As you say, read Divine and all that. But let's listen to Keith Jarrett for the moment. And this is from the Cone concert. Correct. Thank you. 
quite a famous album at the Köln concert with Keith Jarrett and another choice of my guest, Rashid Lombard. Well, we meant to be talking about jazz, but you've got such a fascinating life, as we've discovered, Rashid, with your photography, with these various endeavors that you've done and the archive you're setting up. And I really hope one day I'm interviewing you about the book that you've just published about your life and all your experiences. But what I found very interesting was just before that, when you were talking about Miles Davis, you spoke about redefining jazz. And one of the things that fascinated me since I've been at Fine Music Radio is the definition of jazz. And it's actually quite difficult trying to get someone to define it. And I think what you are saying is that it is becoming less and less possible to define jazz. Am I on the right track? Yes, I think it's more about listening Mm -hmm. and appreciating and taking what appeals to you. Yes. You know, otherwise, you know, I don't think there's really a definition. I mean, a lot of great musicians have their own definitions, which makes a lot of sense. But, you know, t- today I'm still amazed at how many different voices come through the jazz scene, in particular in, in South Africa. And our music has its depth, thanks to all the musicians, you know, and it's from the craziest to the most traditional. And many individuals stand out, not only the big names, if you look at the new generation, I mean, they're phenomenal. Carl Shepard, wow. Mm-hmm. You know. An FMR prize winner, by the exactly, way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Bokani Dyer. I mean, they're just doing some beautiful mm-hmm. new stuff, and which is appealing. These guys are touring all the time. Yeah. The, the young jazz pianist, Tandy in Thule. You know, she's in Switzerland right now. So I think, you know, there's a redefinition about. Uh, about jazz and we mustn't get caught up in it's not about the debate it's about the appreciation of mm-hmm. music it's very refreshing to hear you say that you can imagine that one of the problems we have here is people trying to describe what jazz is and what you're saying is that don't try and compartmentalize it appreciate music okay we're not talking about pop music necessarily or R&B mm-hmm. but jazz seems to me to have a very very broad spectrum that also we had FMR must exhibit do you agree yeah I agree and and I mean, if you talk like a, a musician like Carlo Mombelli is quite senior and spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with uh, in Germany and played with a saxophonist called Charlie Mariano. It's one of my favorite. He's performing now with all these young artists, you know, uh, Arendse, the guitarist from Cape Town. Phenomenal. You know, when I listen to him, I think John McLachlan. I think Al Miola. Sure. You know, it's gone beyond the smooth. It's, and, and it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. And is there a fair amount of young people who come to the jazz festival? Is jazz interesting for young people? Well, I think this is what's happening, that your audience is becoming younger. Which is a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It increases the whole yep. cross-section. Yep. Yep. And it's about audience development, very mm-hmm. critical. So, you know, in terms of playing new kind of sounds to younger people, don't underestimate them, you know. I know lots of programmers think, Oh, it must be more swinging, more smooth, more sort of Benson-like. Or it doesn't work like that any longer. Mm-hmm. University of Cape Town. If you look at the students coming out of there, some phenomenal. It's you a know. good department, that isn't it? The jazz section Absolutely. at the university. Yeah, yeah. under uh, Mike Mike Campbell, but he's retired now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's left such a legacy. And um, in fact, I used them a lot. George Benson. One, I said, play two nights or one night with the orchestra. He says, okay, I'll send you the scores. Mike, I need the orchestra. George Benson came in and he said, two, three hours. Half an hour we listened to them said, spot on. <laughs> because they had the scores. Yeah, yeah. Same with Deodata. I yeah. need a string section and a horn section. 
you know, and and so we're producing. And there's a lot of institutions in Durban, in Pretoria, universities, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think what's also critical is that these young musicians understand business. You can't fool them. Yeah, yeah, they understand yeah. contracts, they understand music rights. and All of which is important, isn't yeah. it, especially in this day yeah. and age. And, and it's fitting into the creative economy now. Mm-hmm. I think that's very critical. It's no more hustling, you know, come yeah, play for the yeah. door. Or we want to make you famous, no. You know, and I think out of all the history you've been living, this is the fruits. Mm-hmm. Gosh, you say that nice and proudly. So you're obviously a man who's proud, A, of what you've done by introducing international jazz here. And also this business of it being redefined of younger people starting. You can sit back in your retirement, as you call it, although it doesn't sound to me as if you're tired, <laughs> and enjoy the fruits of what sounds like a fascinating life. Yeah, I hope so. I am got into cooking. Oh, really? Yeah, That's I'm something looking different. for new recipes besides my mother's recipes. It's my kind of therapy. Good. But I enjoy training now. I've been doing a lot mm-hmm. of, con- for better word, consulting. Right. You know, right. Sharing my knowledge. So I've got clients in Nigeria, which I love. I love Lagos, Mozambique, um, Angola, and of course in South Africa. So I like to sit with young people that want to become a promoter or producer. And I'd like to start a training program, you know, because major events... The most important, you know, technical productions, that's all there. It's well equipped. It's a management. People you don't see. Mm-hmm. People understanding time management, your financial people. That is yeah. a backbone. Yeah. So I'm and trying it has to be, doesn't it, really? Yes, it has yes, to be. Yes, it's a business. It's we, a business. Absolutely. We're running. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. rock and roll. Well, yes, it's not rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Rashid, thank you. I'm a rock and roller. Are you so, really? Are you uh, still a rock and yeah, roller? Yeah. But jazz is your first love. Well, actually, of late now, I've been putting Freddie Mercury on. I just love Goodness him. Goodness me. This is quite a confession. You know, and Tina Turner. So, you know, <laughs> YouTube, I can just put it on during the daytime. Yes. So, my mind is very open to music. You know, Which I'm, is the I'm, best way I'm to so be. I'm so old-fashioned. This is the best way to be. Rashid, thank you. But what is your last piece of music? It can only be Robbie Jansen. You know, he was very important when he had the band Sons of Table Mountain. And he had a very distinctive sax sound. And I know a lot of people are inspired by his work, his music. So his music still become standards now, mm-hmm. you know. And I use standards rather than covers. Yeah, you know, covers yeah. is something else. Standards respecting someone's music. So play the thing well. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and the song that comes to mind is how I love to feel free, because that song really talks about it's not just freedom of it's the freedom of the mind, and uh, okay. and it's quite a sort of a jewel. A nice way to end yeah, our chat to you. Yeah. Rashid has been lovely and inspiring talking to you. Thank you. And I've been talking to Rashid Lombard. Thanks, Rashid. Thank you very much best. for having me. How I'd love to feel free in my land Eat the fruits of the trees where I stand How I'd love to feel free as a man just don't know if the man changed his plan I really don't know if he changed his whole plan Search in a 
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR.